A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, happy 4th of July to all my American listeners, and happy Canada Day three days earlier to everybody from Canada. I'm from Canada, you you, you idiot. I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. And my fellow Canadians, Tyson Kidd and Natalia Neidhart, are here with me sharing crazy stories about the legendary Hart family, their family, the most unique and biggest and most legendary family in wrestling history. They're going to be here talking about the Montreal Screwjob, the aftermath of said Screwjob, what it took to broker the peace between Brett and Sean, and Brett and Vince, even more importantly. we got some funny stories about Owen Hart, Ross Hart, Bruce Hart, uh, <laughs> Dean Hart, uh, Teddy Hart, and Natalia's grandpa, Stu, the patriarch of the Hart family. So many great stories. If you love wrestling or if you love the Hart family or if you don't know anything about them, you're still going to love this episode. Plus, you get to hear my recollections of the Harts uh, going to the Hart family wrestling school and also um, coming face-to-face with Smith Hart. In uh, in the Hart family house, crazy crazy story. Told it before. Gonna tell it again. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride, cause it's Friday. It's I love that song. Always makes me feel happy, no matter what the circumstances are. All right, today we're talking the wrestling family dynasty, the Hearts. So many of them, and we've got Natty Neidhart, uh, daughter of Jim the Anvil, and we also got T.J. Wilson, aka Tyson Kidd, who grew up with the Hearts. Uh, he actually just had a very serious injury, very serious surgery. This happened before. Uh, the surgery. So we, we talked to Tyson a few months ago. We're wishing him all the best. He's a strong guy. He's a great wrestler. He's a great performer. He's in great shape. I think he can come back from this injury and be better than ever. I know he can. And in the meantime, we've got some hilarious stories to tell about the Hart family, the family that he grew up in that adopted him as one of uh, their own. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll find out, I'm sure. <laughs> lots of funny stories and lots of funny stories on my new Comedy Central digital series, Nothing to Report. we got six episodes, about five minutes long each. Nuggets of comedy joy. I guarantee you'll laugh at least once, maybe even twice. And thanks to all of you, we're racking up the views, and hopefully that leads to more episodes. If you're looking for something a little more serious, though, 
Charlie Big Show in Vendetta. He's with Dean Cain uh, as a uh, an evil, evil villain uh, up against Dean Cain's renegade cop. It's a great movie. Good for show. Good for all of us. It's on demand right now or on DVD. That's called Vendetta. Go check that out and go check out Nothing to Report. We've got over a million and a half downloads thanks to you. And keep on checking out Tough Enough. We had week two, uh, show number two this week, and they were definitely uh, tightening it up a bit, and you're starting to see the battle lines being drawn, the personalities coming out, and I'm really enjoying it. I had more fun this week as well. I think everybody's kind of figuring out what their roles are, figuring out what, what, what they're there to do and what they're there not to do. And uh, once again, another, another great rating. It's, uh, the show has become a hit. And we're very excited to see where it takes us as the countdown to elimination has begun each and every week for all the competitors on Tough Enough. There's 11 left. But I finished up the show and went straight to the hotel airport, airport hotel, and then flew out the next day to come to Japan. It was three hours from Orlando to Dallas, then 13 hours from Dallas to Tokyo. I'm in Tokyo right now looking out at a rainy downtown Tokyo area. I flew over on the plane with with Paige, which was great. I watched the movie Get Hard, which was very funny. I hadn't seen it yet with Will Ferrell and uh, Kevin Hart. If you want to uh, check that out, you should. It's very, very funny. And um, as I was driving out of Narita, it takes about two hours to get from Narita to Tokyo. I text a good friend of mine, Masanora Hori, who I've known for many, many years. He's a he's a big fan here and a good friend. And I asked him how many times have I been to Japan. He's like these guys really into all the stats and everything like that. So he sent me all of the tours that I've done, and I didn't know had I done sixty tours, had I done thirty tours. Um, I just know that I'd been a whole you know shitload of times, and it turns out this is my forty third tour of Japan, which is amazing to think about it. I'm forty four years old and I've been to Japan forty three times. I'll take it. And um, he actually went through all of the different tours. So it's kind of like a trip down memory lane to see all these tours. My first one was October 10th, 1991, when I came over for FMW. So I was 20 years old, my first trip to Japan. 20 years old. I was making 600 bucks a week. I was over there for, uh, I thought it was three weeks, but it's only two. See, you're seeing everything here. It was a two-week tour, and I learned a lot, you know, and I didn't go back again until 1992 when uh, Lance and I were supposed to go back with Sudden Impact, but he didn't want to go, so I got another guy in there replacing him. His name was Kevin Hool, who they called Kevin Fall, and uh, he fell all right, fell off, uh, fell off the face of the earth, fell into obscurity. <laughs> And that was uh, my second tour of Japan. I never got a chance to come back until I was working in Mexico, and I hooked up with Ultimo Dragon, who brought me over for war, Wrestle and Romance, which is always funny to me. You know, it's a real rock and roll name, Wrestle and Romance. It's a tough, tough name there. And that was uh, in February of 1994, and that was my third Japanese tour with King Haku, uh, the real Lord of the Jungle. If you remember him, he was a uh, like an Ultimate Warrior ripoff, and Mr. Hughes who went on to become my valet about five years later, or my manager, whatever you want to call him, my bodyguard, I guess would be a better term. And I remember he was always excited because his sunglasses never came off while he was wrestling. He was very proud of that. It was probably the best thing about his work, too. So, <laughs> And then kept coming all the way through 1994. Uh, I remember this because I was working in Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the same time. So um, I remember I would come over, do the Smoky Mountain Wrestling tapings, and then come over to Japan. The tours were really short, but I would still come over. I remember I came over for a one-day six-man tournament, June 30th, 1994. My uh, my partners were Dos Cadas, who is the father of Alberto Del Rio, and Thunderbird Brett Como, a good friend of mine from Calgary, Alberta. He was wrestling as the uh, ultimate dragon, the black dragon. So we came and did a six-man uh, tag team tournament then and then we came back in july and that was uh, me 
and Vampiro and Warlord against Onita, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Tenru. We had that match, and, and we lost that match when Onita pinned me. But if you remember, if you read my book, uh, A Lion's Tale, that I moonsaulted Onita and hit him in the, in the, in the face with my knee. And that was uh, – <laughs> we had to, like, pick him off the, off the mat, which was pretty funny. I could have pinned him and been the renegade hero that pins Onita, but instead I had to pick him up and kind of pin myself because he was knocked out. So, um, yeah, lots of great matches, lots of great tours. Then you hit 1995 when I was coming over every single month. I'd work two months in Japan and go home for two months. And we really had built up our junior heavyweight division with Gato and Yasuroka and Nego Casas was here, one, two, three kid. They had a guy called Orihara who was great. Como was here, Ultimo Dragon, Gato, Jado, um, you know, Lance Storm came over. So it was, it was really a really good time for junior heavyweights. So much to the point that we actually, uh, I remember Dragon and I, it's actually on this list, June 29th, 1995, like 20 years ago. In the Izumo Dome in Shimane, we headlined the show. And for junior heavyweights to headline, that's a big deal. Like You never would really see that happen too much. So we really made some good strides there. And I remember that match, too. We killed it. And then a few days later, July 7th, 1995, at the Sumo Hall, Rogoku, Koku Gaikon, which is where I'm wrestling tonight against Finn Balor, uh, Lionheart beat Ultimo Dragon in 20 minutes to uh, keep the WAR International Junior Heavyweight title. And that was the match that really put me on the map. If you want to talk about a breakthrough match that when people saw it, started kind of uh, getting my name out there. I know that Jimmy Hart, I think Benoit had it and gave it to Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart gave it to Kevin Sullivan and Eric Bischoff and said, this kid is great. I remember, I think Mick Foley gave that match to Paul Heyman. I think uh, Benoit gave that match to Paul Heyman. So it was that match that helped me get into ECW and WCW. It was a great, great match against Ultimo Dragon, one of my favorite opponents of all time. And I think that match was on my very first DVD, uh, behind uh, Breaking the Code, Behind the Walls of Jericho, whatever it was, whatever whatever it was called, um, Breaking the Walls Down or something, whatever, the first DVD I did. You know what I'm talking about from about five years ago. I think that match is on there. And if it is, you should go check it out. If not, it's probably on YouTube. It's a great, great performance. At the time, I mean, a lot of high spots and a lot of flying, but you definitely could see what I could do. And that was, like I said, a real kind of a breakthrough match for me. And then looking through the rest of the years, you know, going through there with all these guys, with Big Titan and Dr. Luther and uh, all my friends that were on there, Hector Garza, who's not with us anymore, and... and uh, uh, Brazo de, de Las Brazos, Brazo de Plata, Brazo de Oro, El Brazo. He's got all the tours that I've done with all the foreign guys that were on it. So you can see all that. And then, of course, the Super Jacob second stage, December 9, uh, 13th, 1995, where I worked with Chris Benoit for the first time. And uh, Liger won that tournament. So, And they kind of went through 96, worked through the first half of the year in 96, and, and finished off with a big eight-man tag in 1996 where I, I gorilla-pressed Rey Mysterio off the top rope while we were standing on the top rope. I gorilla-pressed him. It was pretty impressive. I posted a picture of it on Instagram a few weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, good good times, man. Uh, and then I was gone for Japan for a while until I came back. I went to WCW. I came back in 1997, uh, January 4th, as Super Liger, which was Liger's big rival. Totally bombed. I sucked. I, I, I fell off the top rope. I couldn't see anything. I put on a terrible match, and that was pretty much the end of my time. Uh, in New Japan, except for the next tour was already booked. The visas were already booked, so um, I was allowed to come back just as Chris Jericho, and I killed it, and that's when they started bringing me back to New Japan fairly regularly. I did the Best of the Super Junior Tournament. I did um, another tournament or another tour in September. I remember I worked with Benoit over there. We had some great matches. And then my last tour was tagging with Eddie Guerrero, 
against uh, Sinjiro Otani and uh, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, Jericho and the Black Tiger, and that was in 98. All right. Then came back uh, with WWE in 2002. We sold out the Yokohama Dome at about 18,000 people. It was Jericho versus The Rock, and that's when um, afterwards we had this great match, and then we had like a 20-minute, you know, uh, comedy segment at the end of it which you know we always love doing pat patterson hated it well you guys put on these great matches and then you do this stupid comedy after and it's like you know no one gets a chance to see the rock we're gonna give him the rock so he was talking about how he loved pie and then i said i hated pie i only liked uh, strudel and we kind of argued back and forth and i told him under my breath i said call me okama he said what i said call me okama he said you don't like pie what are you some kind of okama and okama in japanese means gay so everyone started chanting okama and it was even on the front cover of the of the Tokyo Sports the next day. Uh, Rock calls Jericho Okama because I can read Japanese. So there you go. T- you know, fifteen years of of tearing of terrorizing Japan thrown away uh, in one night. <laughs> but then I uh, worked with Tajiri and Benoit and, and Shawn Michaels over the years. Randy Orton, Ricky Steamboat. We worked together in the Budokan before we started working in the Sumo Arena. Basically every summer. I worked with Yoshitatsu, I worked with uh, Cesaro last time, uh, Curtis Axel, and then tonight against Finn Balor, and tomorrow night against Adrian Neville, and very excited to do that. I always love coming back to Japan because I feel like I grew up here. I learned a lot from uh, working here and, and really made a name for myself uh, far and beyond I could have anywhere else and, and kind of really embraced the Japanese culture and ingratiated myself with the Japanese culture. And every time I come back, I, I take it very seriously. And I really, uh, it's a great honor for me to work in Japan. And I'm very, very excited to do so. And I'm excited to deliver this to you from Japan, my room in Tokyo. I got some podcast guests coming in a little later on. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun during the next couple of days. And I will tell you all about it. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with Natty Neidhart and Tyson Kidd. They're coming up. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Well, thank you. I'm glad you always say that you guys uh, listen to the podcast, and you were actually yeah. one of the first guests that yeah. I had, um, probably in the first 20 episodes or 30 episodes. Yeah, yeah, we love the podcast. Defender, yeah, uh, Repeat Repeat Defender. I know they were the first uh, WWE performer that I asked for oh. when I went through the um, the uh, pro- protocol. They said, "Well, give me a list of who you want." And I was like, "Well, I want Natty on there because <laughs> she's nuts." <laughs> yeah. And I like being nuts because yeah. some of those heart stories. Being normal is just too. It's like so boring. No, but it's part of your back, and that's why I wanted to have you guys. We got Natty Nighthart, and we got TJ Wilson here. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Tyson Kidd. I always still call you TJ. Uh, now I total do. divas. Yeah. Now there's like the, now everyone calls you Tyson. Yeah, right? and, and TJ. There's a used to be like at Access would always be like the fans letting me know that they Wikipedia'd my name, but now it's like now it's this weird hybrid. The lines blurred of like. Yeah. My t- Sometimes I'll come out in an arena and fan- kids will be saying TJ as I'm walking to the ring. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they've seen Total Divas. Maybe Total Jerk. Them- no. Maybe, maybe they've <laughs> but seen on, more so, on Total Divas even than sometimes. So, in Divas, you're TJ. Yeah. And that's kind of been like a big boost for your career, right? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Like, you're more popular now than you've ever been from being on Divas, probably. Yeah, right? and I think it's also what's helped me get my foot in the door with 
to like keep advancing and even like of course, yeah. deal with NXT, which is kind of helped like resurge everything stems from Total Divas. Yeah. And, and that's like, uh, it, it's so cool to see because you guys have been working here for a long time. And obviously, Natty, you've been at the top of the Divas division for a while. And TJ, you've had different pushes and different combinations of things that have worked and then stop and start. And yes. now you're getting a chance to kind of really show. Yeah, yeah. Well, show not only, everyone knows your wrestling skills are top notch off the charts, but now you get a chance to show your personality too, which you've always also had. Yeah, and it's like uh, I've had a lot of the guys come up to me recently and say, you know what, now you're the guy out there that you are back here. And it's like I've done commentary now a couple times the last couple weeks on like main event. And the, when I got to the back, everybody said, the, or not, I mean, the boys all came up and said, man, you were the same on commentary as you are when you're commentating at the monitor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's good. That's like what I, my goal was: is to try to show that I do have a personality. I don't just walk around like a drawn stick man walking around. Right, right, right. Which is funny though, because when you talk about, you know, um, sometimes guys that can really work with a lot of talent, a lot of, I don't know. If it's aerial ability or whatever you want to say, the, the personality isn't really there. But but you have that, and you have a great personality too, Natty. And I think a lot of that is because you guys grew up in the system, uh, yeah. in the Hart family system, where yeah. everybody is a character. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to have you guys on because I know we always laugh. Say, the Hearts are crazy. I say crazy in the most loving yeah. way. Yeah. It is definitely the weirdest, craziest, funniest, strangest family <laughs> ever. Ever. And people who, who think they know are like, oh, yeah, the hearts. But hearing the real stories of just how loopy yeah. the family is. Loopy in a whole new, laugh. like, and I feel like I, I don't know. It's like I'm really proud to be a part of the family because of how nuts they are. And in the, in the most loving and endearing sure. uh, and charming way. Um, and then you throw in that little Neidhart, like, the fact that my dad's also a bit nuts. And then it's like, gosh, I really like Road Dog said to me um, at the last TV taping, he's like, I think you're a little nuts. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's like uh, Sunday dinner. You had to bring a personality it was like the most like this long going WWE pre tape. The whole Sunday dinner, everybody's at the table and like <laughs> there's a reality yeah, show, right? Exactly. If they- there had been a camera just in the middle of the table kind of rotating. You'd have endless material. Now, then you're talking about the Sunday dinner at Stu's house, yeah. which was up uh, a place called in Coach Hill in Calgary. It was kind of up on a hill, a big mansion. Yeah. Right. And this was the place where every Sunday the whole family would come over for dinner, right? Right. So first of all, so who, so your dad is Jim Nathart. Who's your mom? My mom's Ellie. She's Ellie. Um, the first girl in the Hart family. So there's 12 kids. So let's Smith, go to the 12. Yeah. Smith, Bruce, Keith, Wayne, my mom, Ellie. And then there's um, – oh, shoot, Dean? Yeah. I hate when you correct me. <laughs> Smith, Bruce, Keith, Wayne, Dean. Thank you. Ellie, um, Brett, Georgia, Allison, Ross, Diana, Owen. So my mom and Brett are like right next to each One other. After another. Yeah, so there's always been like a real serious rivalry between oh, okay. the two of them. Very serious. And they actually both kind of sort of look alike. Really? Me. Yeah, I always see like Oh yeah, definitely. I always saw similar. like Owen and Diana, they always kind of like to me mm-hmm. looked alike. And then Brett and my mom always like kept Well, it's really up. funny too because um a couple of the hearts like really strikingly good looking and then a couple of the other hearts are kind of like kind of weird looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you see like like Brett 
like Brett and Owen, and then they were like such good looking guys. Like you know, yeah. And then you see someone like Ross, who's not a really good looking. Well, guy. Ross did design my very first ring costume actually, <laughs> and uh, because of that, I think a lot of people might have mistaken me for a man. But we're not going to get into that. Um, that's made... like her father. Yeah, that's like her daddy. Uh, very traditional well, wrestling. Yeah, I remember that was actually very traumatizing going back on it. But Ross really, I mean, one of the comments he was telling the seamstress, "Crazy Colleen" was her name. She a Calgary. Girl, she was from a town, I think, in Cochrane. Okay, so you know, Cochrane. Yeah, yeah, just outside. Just, yeah, just outside. And and uh, he was like, "Not too much boob." <laughs> well, no shit, Ross. Excuse my language. <laughs> no shit, Ross. I don't need to look like Kurt Angle, except for Kurt Angle showed a lot more boob than me. You know what I mean? And I had this outfit that just made me look like I was three hundred pounds, and I was like, "I already am Jim Neidhart's daughter." Stop. Like, got shot stop it. Putting legs, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they are JR approved because Jim Ross always commented on my thick thigh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he really did? He would really say that? I'm No, that's just Natty's interpretation yeah, okay. of DJ, like, stop her, it. how she thought JR had commentated oh, okay. when he was on SmackDown. Don't interrupt me, please. Uh-oh. Thanks. Now that you live in the crazy world. Now, well, but, but how, now, you aren't officially a blood-related heart. No. But you pretty much grew up in the Hart family. Yeah, right? I went to school with uh, maybe the craziest of, of all, Teddy. <laughs> Teddy so, Hart. Uh, yeah, we, we became friends at 10 years old. And then remember he kept inviting me to his house, which he said was a gym. And as a kid, I'm thinking like a gymnasium like in our school. Mm-hmm. And I go to his house. Finally, he's convinced me. He also has ice cream. Come on, I'll, at least you'll get some ice cream. I go to his house, <laughs> and uh, it's a gym, a workout gym. And he, first person he introduces me to is this woman on, on a bike, and he said, this is George. And I was like, okay, why is he introducing me to, to gym members? And it turns out that's his mom. He called oh. her George. Yeah, so, he called her George. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's Georgia, but yeah, they, okay. he called his parents by their first names. Yeah. Well, at he, 10 years old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, always. So, I mean, like, and then next thing you know, I was going, hey, do you want to come up to my, my grandfather's house? And then absolutely snowballed into everything, into uh, wrestling, watching wrestling every week. And, like, somehow, like, I, I'd seen it before, obviously, and I was a fan. But growing up uh, with a single mom and two sisters, I'd, younger sisters, I'd watch wrestling and then want to try some of it at home on my sister. So that got... So kind of like Dan, going to the hearts quickly. was kind of like a, I'm not going to say father figure, but gave you kind of the, the male element that uh, yeah, you hundred percent, a hundred percent. Wow. Was, okay. Especially like uh, Ted's dad, definitely. That's BJ? Yeah, BJ, yes. No, it's, and it's such a, it, <laughs> somebody last night was in the dressing room, I think it was maybe Wyatt or something, he goes, who's the biggest wrestling family? And like... <laughs> He's like, my family's the biggest. Okay, well, you got Wyatt and, and Rotundo, and there's a couple dudes in the windows. But your family has so many layers. different layers of wrestlers and yeah. guys involved in the business. It just extends. Like, so, I think, yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, no, I think even Roddy Piper is somehow, uh, like, related to our family. Like, he's a cousin of... He would always say that with Roddy. You never know if he's, if he's yeah. serious or not. But <laughs> like, he always yes. said he's a cousin of you guys. Yeah, because you have Stu, who's, like, the patriarch. So you have Stu, and then... You know, you have all, you know his twelve kids. Either they were somehow involved in it, whether they were promoting or doing shady promotions, or and I quote, shady S- selling programs, selling or programs, referees, or refereeing, or yeah. driving married the ring truck. Then they'll married wrestlers. Is what I was talking all four, about. yeah, all, right, all four of them. All four. Ma- the, so who the four daughters marry? So um, my mm-hmm. mom married Jim Neidhart. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Georgia married BJ, who, who did wrestle in Stampede he for a brief period, like a, a, after, kind of like. 
As he was already around the family, then he kind of got into wrestling okay. for like a summer. But he two. also had BJ's gym. Yeah. This was the famous gym in yeah. Calgary that everyone trained yeah. at. Yeah, and then you had Allison, who was married to Ben Basarab, who wrestled in Stampede yes. Wrestling briefly. I mean, right. not and you know, Japan for a few too. years. And, yeah, and in Japan. And then you had Diana, who married Davey. Right. And then th- that gets even more complex because um, my uh, Brett's wife, uh, Julie. Oh, yeah. She ended up marrying, or she, well, she, she married, married Brett, Brett, and then her sister Michelle married Billington Dynamite. ended up marrying Dynamite. Dynamite. Yeah. So Dynamite Kid became a part of the family he was as well. Already like Davy's cousin or second cousin or something. So yeah. like, yeah. So then now they're like related in like a square. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so strange. you, yeah. you have Stu. Then you had, you know, for WWE fans, it's like Brett, my, my dad, Davy. Dynamite, and then uh, Owen. Mm-hmm. So then you have those five, and then after that, it's like Teddy Hart, who everybody knows is takes on a whole new level of of weird, of weird, yeah. crazy everything. And, and then Teddy's Harry. worked in the WWE, was signed to developmental a couple different times, yeah, including like '98. He like just 18 years old. Yeah, wow. very. Yeah, I think and then once again, like in 2006 or seven, right? Yeah, yeah. he. I mean, and Ted just. He he marches to the beat of his own drum, and he's you know he. Co- I showed you uh, yesterday a picture of Ted coming to the ring with his Persian cats. Mm-hmm. And last year at WrestleMania, TJ makes this announcement to me that Ted's coming to meet us for dinner, and he's like, "Yeah, I invited Ted out." And I was like, "Oh, that's fine." And Ted comes in with several women, um, which is fine. One was his wife, one was his girlfriend. But it's not. This isn't hidden stuff. Have you ever seen his uh, reality show trailer? No. Okay, you'll see that this tour. Well, I will show you this video. What, what, how can you look at it on YouTube? Just it, Teddy on Hart YouTube, reality uh, show. Teddy Hart reality show. Yes, okay. I'm pretty then, sure it pops up. There's well, a three minute he, one. Okay, unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, and and then he comes in with his cat, Mister Money, and this cat is like this, you know, beautiful Persian cat. But I was like, okay. I didn't know Ted was bringing six people and two girlfriends and a wife and a cat. And all of a sudden, Ted's throwing the cat up in the air. It's like we're this getting is at 2 a.m. now. served wonton soup and Ted's throwing his cat. And why isn't anyone stopping us? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like it's time to pay for the bill. Everybody's just like. That's the funny thing. Nobody ever stops Ted. He can just do for whatever. Yeah, and, and, Her and I talk about it all the time. He can. And nobody really ever pays the bill either when you're talking about that. Right. I remember I went to uh, – after uh, – this is not a funny thing, but after Davey's funeral, everyone went up for Chinese food and I got invited. And at the end of the night, they passed the hat around and uh, there was probably 20 people there. And I put in 50 bucks and they had $73. In. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, of course. Of course. No. Davey, actually, Davey was extremely generous. Like, when we were growing up, Davey was like... Yeah, he'd always cover, like, these sushi, these... Davey yeah, was, yeah, like, yeah. the best... I, he was just such a... Like, he was, like, a big kid. Right, but, yeah, uh, his whole the whole time. Yeah, yeah I think Davey and Dynamite, for as crazy as they were, I think they were more normal. My dad... I've told this to... I actually told this to <laughs> Triple H. I think I said, I think my dad is, like, the most normal out of all of them. And he's like, that's scary. <laughs> 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 what um? What's did you guys ever get to meet Dynamite at all? I mean, I know there was a kind of a real big falling out between Davy Boy and Dynamite after the British Bulldogs. Do you know the story of that or whatever um, happened with that? Yeah, I know a little bit. I know that um, in terms of meeting him, no. I remember Robbie Brookside, who's now mm-hmm. a trainer at the Performance Center, but I met him wrestling in England, two thousand five. And one day we and I regret it now. And not that Dynamite hasn't passed away, but he was like, "Hey, do you want to meet Dynamite Kid?" And I was like, "Well." In my mind, I'm painted with such, like, Davy Boy colors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 right. And I was like, I heard that he's very bitter and kind of doesn't you want You were worried any- you would go in there and he'd say, oh, you're a Davy yeah, Boy and then, Yeah, and then it would destroy 
Like, I love watching Dynamite stuff on gotcha. YouTube. So then I felt like it would maybe kind of destroy that for me. And then never meet your heroes. So since right? then, like, Harry's met him, and, like, he's great. And I was like, so I kind of, I don't know if I missed my chance. I, I'm sure I'll get another chance, hopefully. But, uh, so I didn't meet him. But I think the big breakup was um, they they got fired from WWE. For beating up the Rougeos? Yeah, for the fight with the yeah. Rougeos. And, uh, getting beat up yeah, by the Rougeos. Yeah, Dynamite getting jumped by, by Jacques. Yeah, the story was they had some kind of they were ribbing each other or something, and yeah. Jock jumped dynamite with a roll of quarters. Yeah, yeah, and punched out his teeth. Dynamite or had like a cigarette in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. Mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, so then I, they were wrestling in Stampede and they were wrestling in Japan. And I, the story that I was told is that one day they were in the locker room and then Vince was there, mm-hmm. and he said, "I want you guys back." And Davey said, "Okay," and Dynamite said, "Hell no, mm-hmm. not quite in those words." Right, right, right. right, right. And then. Uh, I think he was very mad that Davey had gone. Davey said, forget it. If you're not going, I'm going. Yeah, and, and yeah. Davey, I mean, had to make, I guess, the move for his family to yeah. go. And yeah. uh, at that time, Dynamite was really beaten up. So I think Davey was doing a lot of the workload. And maybe earlier when they were attacking him was the opposite way. Yeah. But at this point, I think Davey was doing the workload. And so without Davey, now Dynamite, that's when they brought in Johnny Smith. Oh, the new British Bulldogs. Yeah, so then Johnny Smith's the young guy doing like most of the work and tagging Dynamite for the hot tag or whatever. But That was so in Japan, I, I think. Yeah, right? in all Japan. So I think that's the big riff at the time was because uh, Davey, he felt Davey just kind of betrayed him and left. And, uh, and, Di- and Diana's very – she can be like a shrewd businesswoman, and she had the intellect to – Trademark at that time, trademark the name the British Bulldog in terms of wrestling. Or so mm. Davy, oh, he owned, owned the, the name. name. So then that was another big riff with Davy and Dynamite. Gotcha. Unfortunately and sadly, they never really never patched up. Never before Davy passed no. away, they never patched up. Never. That's a drag, man, because yeah. that's one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many yeah. people did they influence? And in like, oh, dude, me, my friend and I, uh, in about probably 1986, 87, we used to hang outside the Winnipeg Arena and wear the tightest. Shirts we could, and we all we all both had like big arms yeah, yeah, yeah. because you know like we yeah, work your upper body muscles, right? upper body business yeah. kid, and we used to wait outside and think like man, imagine if if the British Bulldogs saw us and took us under their wing and took us on the road and we became their proteges and they taught us everything they knew. So we used to wait outside like are they going to see us? And I only imagine like imagine if they would have taken us yeah. under their wing, we would have been drunk and, well, and messed the, up on and, pills. And, <laughs> and the thing is, they're a tag team that there's. A lot of performers, but it's there's the special ones that almost transcend time. Like you could take the Bulldogs and put that's them in, right. Put them into those TLC matches. And sure, it'd be amazing. You couldn't take like other tag teams, you right? Know, yeah, and you do that. Take Beefcake and Valentine. Yeah, and you know what I'm saying. Right. You could take the Bulldogs and put them at that time. You could put them like a couple years ago, or I mean a year ago with like the Shield and Wyatt. It's a great point. You could put them with the Usos tonight, yes. tonight or whoever, yes. right? It, yeah. And it would be awesome. Yeah. So like. It's a shame that they never rehashed. Yeah, and, and I mean, and they are cousins; they're family, and it's just just on a personal. Level. I know, and also like something crazy where like Dynamite went and beat up Davy's brother one time, pretty in bad. England. Yeah, That's so weird. So stuff. a lot of like weird things where Dynamite took a very, very personal. And then idea. Owen's wedding didn't. Oh, there, that was bad because yeah. that turned into that's even that's a crazy that's a. That's going to epitomize the crazy hearts because yeah, it Owen was getting so this married. Is Owen's married. Owen was getting married. He was, um, you know, obviously it was going to be this big family wedding. Every, everybody was at the Hart House. Well, I know the story the way Davey told me it. There was fighting with the mother-in-laws. Um, my grandmother, Helen Hart, wanted – she was very – she was from New York and she was very stuffy and 
you know, prim and proper, despite the fact that there was nothing but wrestlers at her house that were, (laughs) you know, under the giants downstairs in the kitchen. My grandmother is like, you know, reading Vogue upstairs in her bedroom, but (laughs) (laughs) Stu's making breakfast for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. With a spatula that's being used for two different things. I got to talk about that. Everyone has that story. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny because like, so there was this fight with the mother-in-laws over whether they were going to serve, you know. Creme brulee for dessert, or have Jello with fruit in it from Safeway, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then and then I think did dynamite so break the, Bruce's? Okay, yeah. So what the story is is that <laughs> somebody's jaw there, was there, broken. There's a heel a heel van and a baby face van that the stampede shows that everybody rides in the van. Right. So uh, I guess like the heel van. The, <laughs> imagine this now, but the windshield's broken. There's not a windshield. And they're driving wherever the hell they're. Why is there not a windshield? It, it got broken. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And they just never bothered fixing it. And so for like this, this loop, <laughs> no, uh, they, they got it fixed. But for this loop, oh, maybe okay. it broke the night before, and they're just having to drive to whatever town. Right, right, right. And so like as they're driving, they're getting hit with bugs. Like think about a windshield that you're driving <laughs> yeah. on the highway, right? So uh, then the story is that. The, and uh, this was maybe the babyface van because Davey and Dynamite are in this van, mm-hmm. but Bruce is in a different van. Mm-hmm. Bruce in the, maybe the heel van or something. He snuck in because he didn't want to be in the one without the windshield. So <laughs> the story is that it got back to Davey and Dynamite that Bruce was like laughing at them that they had to drive. So Dynamite's had enough, and and Davey too. And Davey told me they both are like kind of going around this car to get Bruce. Mm-hmm. And Davey told me Dynamite uh, just kind of got to him first and. Broke his jaw the day before Owen's wedding. Owen's wedding. And Bruce, and Bruce was, the was the best man. man. Oh wow! So so, <laughs> oh no, uh, was that was that Owen? That's not Owen's wedding. No, that was Owen's wedding. No. Uh uh-uh. uh, because Owen's a young kid and he goes to try to fight. No, that th- no, that must have been another time because Bruce so the couldn't. Time Diamond broke Bruce's um, jaw. <laughs> well, Diamond and Bruce had a lot of issues. Um, we won't get into some of them because they're not PG, but. Um, but, but I remember that because my mom didn't want to go to the wedding because Davey was like, well, I'm not going to the wedding. Like there was a bunch of yeah. infighting. So it turned into family feud. So my mom and my mom and Davey were very close. My mom's like, well, Davey's not going. I'm not going. And then, you know, so like, it, everybody it, it always started turns to, take, to that where there's like some split in the middle and then it yeah. tears right. off. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can see in the picture, Bruce still ended up being the best man. You can You're see right. in the pictures. Bruce didn't have his mouth open in the pictures. He was wearing a gray suit and they were all posed on the front lawn. Everybody's got these glares on their face. I have to show you this picture. I'll have to get like Brett to send it to me. But it turned into like, and then Brett was like, well, uh, Bruce, you know, it turned into yeah. this like. Yeah. 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 It, well, if Bruce isn't going, then I am going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It basically turned into cool. like people taking sides and the mother-in-laws were fighting. And all Owen wanted was just to get married because right. Owen and Martha were like high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. So that was like, you know, family feud. And then I remember there being a lot of fighting at the wedding because somebody, I think George, my Aunt Georgia, caught somebody putting their cigarette out on the floor. And then she went and told so- – like. It was just like, Which is I'm, funny, like of all the craziness of the hearts, uh, probably the ultimate sin out of anything is anything. smoking cigarettes. Really? He's like, cigarettes, you smoke you cigarettes, you might be, you might be outed out of the family. family. Yeah. Oh, just smoking at all. Like, no, 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 like smoking cigarettes. Smoking no one, no one. Cigarettes. Yeah, okay. Other <laughs> stuff. Why? Why? My grandfather just didn't, like, he had a real thing about cigarettes. So once, like, somebody tried to smoke in the heart, like, out of all the things, dynamite freaking broke Bruce's jaw. There's, you know, the mother-in-law's yeah, fighting. Settled, like, then it's no problem. That's just boys. It was boys. like, yeah, my mom's like, I'm not going. And there was so much fighting leading up to the wedding. And then it was like this ultimate fight broke out over the cigarette butt in the carpet. And it was just like a big, big ordeal. But, you know, there was lots of different. That's the thing. That's why there's so much craziness in the family is because, well, one, there's 12 kids. Right. And everybody's kind of, I feel, I feel like when you break it down, everybody was like vying for my grandfather's attention. And he could only discipline 
everybody so much. You dole out so much attention to 12 kids and 12 spouses and brothers-in-laws. Because everybody kept marrying wrestlers and like, so it did kind of get. cousins, I mean, there's 36 cousins. Smith was the craziest. And you think about how my grandfather had to tame Smith. I told you the other day. You know, the Hart House is on a hill. It's in this beautiful neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of the most, you know, fancy neighborhoods cool. in Calgary, Coach Hill. And there's a bird. It was a pheasant that was killed. Okay, leave the damn bird alone. Smith goes down. This is during my era, too. I was around for that. Yeah, you, you were there because yeah. I, I, it was whatever. So there's a, a what on the road? A dead bird, a pheasant. Dead, a pheasant, a pheasant dead was road. dead. Smith felt like it was fresh enough that he grabbed the pheasant and then brought it into my grandfather's house. Didn't really announce it to my grandfather until after it was cooked that it was something he found on the road and didn't want to see this bird go to waste. Yeah. And then proceeded to put mandarin oranges from the can from Safeway around the pheasant. And then... But it's so funny because Smith would like do nothing. But then over this random like pheasant, here he is trying to prepare it like it's this grand feast. <laughs> and it's like Smith could... Yeah, it's like... like, like he never does this, but then yeah. one day he's got a pheasant cooked with mandarin oranges around it. Yeah, it's like... So did Stu eat it? No, no. Uh, Ted's mom made the big save. She, uh... I think she threw it in the dump. She accidentally, like, accidentally drops it on the ground and the dogs come and eat it and Smith was oh, livid. Yeah. Livid that... We, we lived at the guest house and one time, Smith, I hear, like, a little I was noise on the Chris door. That. I was in the shower, by the way. And, and, and oh I, I, opened, I opened the door and then he put a note on our door, lost, uh, some wing-tipped... Bat. I told Chris about that too. Uh, there's some dead bat that he found that in the he, bushes that he put in like a little baggie and froze it. For what reason? And then somebody stole the bat somebody, out of the freezer. I, I like, so he put the note of a lost frozen <laughs> yes. bat. Yes. <laughs> Who took my frozen bat? I remember as a kid, uh, maybe like 16-ish, but this ring truck that they used to have that probably didn't really work. But Smith was driving it back from BC or Smith's friend, but hit a porcupine and put it on the back of the truck and like. For at least like three weeks of the summer, there was this dead porcupine sitting on the back of this ring truck. I just remember thinking like, what is – and finally like maybe Stu or somebody finally got rid of it. But that's like for whatever reason, now that we're sitting here thinking about something about Smith and these like roadkill road kill and like very – Well, I thought – you know, I'm glad you corrected me, TJ, because I would seriously hate to have you testifying against me in court. <laughs> um. I was Just as a quick segue, it's funny. We were talking last night and they said like – I don't know anything about wrestling trivia. I, I just can't remember. But Cody and TJ, you guys know everything. Oh, you yeah, can remember everything. Too, yeah. You guys remember every little detail. Like if I ever want a, a wrestling question or something, I know exactly you know, the man to ask. You can tell you about your entire no, career. No, yeah. the funny is I had a dealing with Sean Michaels and like uh-huh. helping, whatever. He would kept pulling me aside and eventually I told him, hey, Brett was asking kind of who's helping me along on the road and I mentioned Sean and then – so I was telling Sean. Well, listen, so, so when you first came here, for example, yeah. Sean was helping you out. My first night, I had a dark match with Jamie Noble. And yeah. Sean, like, brother came and found me and said, Sean's looking for you. And Sean came and found me and was like, had a lot of complimentary things to say and gave me a couple things. Right. So Sean's kind of taking you under his yeah, wing. Yeah, like right away, which like, you know, Sean's one of my, especially in yeah. the Hart family, it's almost like taboo at the time, but he's one of my favorite. He's my favorite of all time. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, so I was like, really taken ba- aback by it and I was kind of telling Brett and then I told that to Sean and then like his whole demeanor changed and a little and this is when Sean and Brett hated each other they hadn't they, they talked had for years talked. so what did you say to Sean so I told Sean that Brett uh, that I told Brett that he was one of the guys really helping me out and then he was like I didn't know that you're from there and then 
Really? Yeah, he didn't know you were a heart. Then we started talking. We got pretty deeper. Sean was like not crying, but like I could see his eyes. Like he's like, wow. He was very crazy. What he this? He was like, you know, sometimes he's like, sometimes I almost just want to like show up at Brett's doorstep, let him punch me out. But if we can talk afterwards, that'd be all that I mm-hmm. want. And I was like, wow, this thing is like really, really deep. And so Natty had mentioned it to Brett, and Brett was like obsessed to talk to me about. What did Sean say? And there was like a, wow. there was a lot of paranoia, on, uh, maybe on both ends. But like, I remember I took a pre-workout. I was going to the gym and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to Brett maybe like 10 minutes because the conversation wasn't that long. Brett talked to me for like over an hour and he was mm-hmm. like, I just don't trust it. Like if, if he gives you his number and I call him and then he hangs up on me. He'll drive me nuts. Then he, then he got me. You're right, 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 right. I said, I don't know, Brett. It, I, I don't know him the way you know him, but he was very, very, seemed very serious. So anyway, I ended up getting... Brett's number and giving it to Sean. And uh, not too long ago at NXT, Sean just, I think, released a new book. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Tyson, I want to ask you something. Uh, did you give me Brett's number or did I give you my number? And I was like, oh, I gave you Brett's number. He's like, okay. That's what I thought. I was writing it in my book. And I was like, and they mentioned it on the Brett and Sean DVD too. Sean mentions that I, which is really cool. So you kind of brokered the deal. Like, did he ever call Brett? Do you know? or? Uh, so I think like same thing. Their relationship is—I don't think they could have spoken on the phone. You know, I think they had to see each other. other. But I think Sean's very smart, and he knew Brett's itinerary. So when Brett's flying to be the guest host of Raw that first return, wow! I think maybe Sean knew he was in the air, so he called to go straight to voicemail and just left a message. So there's at least like that little bit of peace going in. Like I don't want to talk to you; I just need to tell you this. Yeah. Wow. So you kind of helped help bring those two back. Yeah, at least like in my own little part of like. That's amazing, man. Yeah, because that yeah. Mean, obviously was a huge thing. I mean, yeah. How was that for the family when, when the big screw job went down? I mean, how did you guys feel? Yeah, I remember it, I remember it um, really well because obviously, and that's the thing with Sean and Brett. It's like you said that Sean you know, is one of your favorites of all time. Like Brett is – if you look at Brett, some people say that he's one of – you know, like people – For me, he, Sean is one, Brett is two. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and they can switch depending on that's what right, match I just watched. Yeah, you know? yeah and I think that's like – you know, when I look at Brett, it's like a lot of – even though I'm, even though female, you know, I guess divas, it's just different sometimes. But I really like, I see a lot of Brett's facials and his selling, and sometimes I'll just do the smallest little thing, and I'll be like, that, like, how did, how did he do that? You know, right. like you, you just feel the emotions more than the moves or anything mm-hmm. else. And so I think Brett is very deep, and you, you know, we were saying. I that, think he was very ahead of like the whole realism. In, yeah, 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 the in real era, rather yeah. than like the cartoony stuff. Sure. I think he's. If you watch his stuff now, it it translates to. Where they want to go when today. he did have to do the cartoon stuff because it was that era, it never really fit. Felt he it. never really did it anyways, but a couple times when they had them like yeah. singing on yeah. Pile Driver, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, if you only knew, it was just it's like when the Bulldogs had to do it, like, yeah, yeah, singing, like, yeah. what they, yeah, they were like, they were Brett was very ahead of his time as far as being like reality based and, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And like the, the screw job, I think it like really shattered Brett because you know. Brett believed that he was the best. Sean believed that he was the best. And it was one of those things that, like, Brett had just a different, you know, style. Sean had a different style. But both of them believed so much in what they were. And they were at different places. Even Sean says, I wasn't, like, you know, he wasn't. I remember seeing them at a live event in Calgary in, like, 94. And they were, like, friends. Well, that's that's the thing I, I think that really hurt Brett is, A, Sean and Brett were friends. They yeah. were turned against each other yeah. in a lot of ways by, by Vince. And, and Triple H and I talked about this on my podcast. Vince used to – he'll never come out and say it, but he liked when guys had real 
heat and that competition of because like, that made for better, better matches. matches. Yeah, like, and I know that with myself. You know, even. Sure, like you and I don't like each other. Like, listen, I don't like Tyson, but when I go in the ring, I'm going to show this guy. I am a million times better. Exactly. You're the same way. Yes, exactly. And I think so So both of them kind of got turned against each other unwillingly. Yep. And then I really believe, because I have the same type of relationship with Vince, that, that like he was like a father figure to Brett. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when, and yeah. when Vince kind of betrayed him, I think that really cut him to the bone because it's like your father turning on you. Like, yeah. how can you do this? This is not a wrestling promoter. Yeah. This is not some... I'm not twirling my mustache. I'm going to get you. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah. my, yeah. you know, the guy I respect. I mean, I mean, like Vince had flown to Calgary before. There's footage of like he and Brett, like yeah. sitting on grass talk. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, Vince and Brett had a super yeah. deep um, relationship. relationship. And, and that's the thing is I think it really devastated Brett because he just had devoted so much of his life to, to WWE and especially, especially to Vince and, and having that strong, like fatherly connection that you'd you know be willing to yeah. sacrifice so much i think it really like definitely after the screw job happened i think it really hurt brett deeply and i think you know you look at like things that happened to brett after like his stroke and stuff like that like you know kind of started him on a downward spiral because there was a concussion it was in there too yeah, yeah. And it was like, because yeah. that's what they say, like with strokes a lot of the time, it's, it's, it's very much stress related and you hold mm -hmm. on to all that like sadness and anger and like, yeah. it really can hurt you. That bad energy can hurt right. you. And, and I think that's almost what, with the stroke and then he got a phone call from Vince. After the stroke, yes. wishing well, him well. He was well. in the hospital, yes. And I think that Lifted started that train of like, where Brett started to let go of a lot of. Mm -hmm. A lot of mm -hmm. stuff. But in order for Brett and Sean to be like, when you look at the level of um, performers that they were, like, in order for them to be that good, they have to be that passionate. And sure. to be that passionate, you almost have to get to that level of obsession and yeah. craziness where it's like Sean believed that he was the best, Brett believed that he was the best, and they both had this like, you know, and that's why their matches were so like. You look back at like, I mean, really ahead of its time, the the Iron Man match, time timeless. Can you imagine a sixty minute match at WrestleMania now? Nobody yeah. would have it. Fans wouldn't wouldn't go no. for it. it so I, I was there live that day. Owen flew me there. Oh yeah, yeah. So I earlier in the morning I saw Sean. We were eating breakfast, and then Sean came in, and Diana said, "Oh, are you excited for tonight?" And uh, he said, oh, "I'm really nervous. Really nervous about like keeping mm -hmm. everybody entertained." And I was like, "Shawn Michaels gets nervous." <laughs> yeah. I was like Every, 16. Yeah. I'd had one match under my belt, and I was like, <laughs> "So it's not just me." Yeah, Shawn Michaels gets nervous. <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. nervous. And but, so sitting there, I saw the scoreboard. It was this old like the high school style scoreboard. It, and you see 60 minutes, and I was thinking, yeah, this is a long time. And next thing you know, the whole time I'm on the edge of my seat. I've watched that match probably 30 times. Really? Yeah. yeah, I love it. It's a lot of art and a lot of, like, you can see that competition. And, like, yeah. for one full hour, it's unbelievable. It's old, old, the old school way of building that match. Because that was, you know, a 60-minute match was kind of the norm, you know, in Flair's yeah, yeah, day. I mean, yeah. Flair will tell you he's probably done, you know, 1,000 or yeah. 5,000 60-minute matches. The same with... Dory Funk and Terry yeah. and you know Briscoes and all that sort of stuff. So there was an old school way of building that. Yeah. And they really kind of took that into the modern era. Yeah. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling.
Let's let's talk about you mentioned a couple of times Owen how Owen flew you out there and stuff and I had only two or three uh, meetings with Owen and all three of them were like amazing great guys so much fun how, how was he uh, as as a guy Well I think because he was the baby of the family he was like the most lighthearted and like you know he he was just notorious for um, pulling pranks on people and I think that's actually where TJ and Harry get their pranking from and I'm not going to reveal too much TJ because we still need to make prank phone calls to a few people but. <laughs> Um, and that's also a Calgary thing too is the pranking a lot of ribs and yeah pranks. I remember reading in your book about uh, prank phone calls and as I'm reading I burst out I, I burst out laughing especially with, I leave, your book your book is really funny but anyway uh, you well, might have a little Owen in you I, well because I think because coming from Calgary that was just the way it was Tell me a prank that Owen pulled that oh. you were, did you did you ever see one or, or is the stories he, I, I mean one this isn't even a great one but like one time he called Stu's and here's Stu's Stu had two different phone numbers, and the two phones were right beside each other in the stairwell. Yeah. Okay. And w- at least one of them was listed. Anybody could call. P- I mean, fans would call all day long and ask if Brett's there. It's like, no, you see that he's the WWE champion. If you can, <laughs> would call Stu's house, yeah. you can believe it, he doesn't live with his father anymore. <laughs> Smith still lives here. <laughs> Brett doesn't live here. And uh, so one time I, gotta, I answer the phone, and it's someone pretending to be Walter Payton. And I was like, I was like, I received enough of these calls at this point. I, I, get, I was like, 14 so i'm playing along with oh hey walter what's going on and like mm-hmm. talking talking and then finally the walter voice which i don't even know if it sounded anything like walter, is a walter co- voice, co- yeah. exactly completely stops he goes oh hey tj this is owen uh keep up my dad on the phone and i was like <laughs> oh, i felt like such an idiot that like here i am thinking i'm pulling some prank too yeah, on some that. guy trying to play and then it's owen <laughs> yeah like he Owen knew how to like stir the pot a little bit and get people kind of like, you know, fighting with each other. And I think I'm sure my grandfather knew most of the time it was Owen, but like I, I'm not, you'll probably know the details of this, but um, didn't Owen put a bunch of farm animals from the Goblins into yeah, Owen and Owen and Davey put the animals from but like Vince the Goblins never... thing into Vince's office one day. During a pay-per-view. I think it was like the... the... Maybe like the hog pen match or something. And so they put them all in Vince's office and then I think Hunter told me that they couldn't really prove who did it so they couldn't like... But I think Vince was like Owen! They like did he... an article in WWE Magazine maybe not too, too long ago <laughs> they didn't about, really know for about sure. the, the animals being put in Vince's office with like the door shut. You have all these animals that I'm sure some stuff went down. You yeah, know? So like it's. I like. I heard the one where Owen called uh, Stu as I think it was Reg Ray, Parks. Yes, yeah, and that's he, one of Brett's like, favorites. Yeah, and he was imitating <laughs> Reg Parks as an old timer and was kind of talking to Stu about how you know Stu, you were never really all that tough and you couldn't really stretch yeah. it, but it's all just a facade and it's bullshit. And Stu was getting more and more mad. Very I Brett tough. Like, Reg, if you think you're so tough, why don't you come over and try me? <laughs> And it's Owen on the other end yeah. messing with his dad. And I know, like, uh, I'd heard a few others, like, just simple ones, like, but Owen was at one point riding with the Ultimate Warrior. And, uh, there's a strange mix. Yeah, and so Owen's Blue Blazer at the time. And they, they're going to go into a hotel, and there's all these fans in the lobby, but it, a warrior without his paint on and with just like a hat on. A ponytail or something. Yeah, might be able to kind of get free. And he's like, hey, Owen, let's, let, let's not cause any, you know, bring any Ruh-ha-ha, attention. Yeah. Okay, no problem. As Owen's about to walk on, he throws on his blue blazer mask. So now you have a guy, <laughs> warrior size, trying to like be all discreet. And you have Owen walking through this lobby where there's all these fans of blue blazer mask. So you see blue blazer, you assume the guy who's bigger than him with him is a wrestler. Eventually, going to figure out that yeah, it is yeah, warrior, yeah. and it's going to turn to mayhem. <laughs> Just things like that, where yeah. Owen always like, oh, okay, if you told him something in a pranking way, he would 
do the opposite. And to this day, Harry has brought back some of Owen's friends into our lives. No names mentioned. But, Chris, you know exactly who I'm talking about. It's funny because I always call it Owen's last rib on the boys. Because <laughs> Owen was, I'm not going to say he was cheap. but He was, he was very, very frugal. Thrifty. Yeah, frugal. <laughs> That's the word. Frugal. So he would go on the road and uh, have fans pick him. Like, we rent cars yes. and, and, and rent hotels. Owen would have fans pick him up, drive him to the towns, and then he would stay at their house just to save money. And when Owen passed away, there was this whole legion of like Owen, Owen yeah. fanatics, yeah. Owen yeah. followers, <laughs> Owen disciples that would come and say, "Hey, Chris, you want to ride?" Like you know, because I'm from Calgary. I was like, "I don't want. I don't know any of these people. Right. A lot of them are kind of strange." But God bless them, Owen. They were friends. But right. Like, and, and Owen's big selling point, he always like, "No, it's great because nothing beats a home cooked meal." And I was like, "Wow." <laughs> And, and, then, and free 99 and, helps too. Well, you know. and then Brett would be like. Free 99. Yeah, Brett would. Well, you always say, yeah, nothing's ever free. But no. um, Brett would be like, you know, Owen needed to understand that, that it was important to pay, pay for a good bed to sleep in and have a meal. But Owen would get these rides with these strange people that their car would break down or that he'd be sleeping in the back, like in their house. Or yeah. And then Harry, for whatever reason, is very, very much like my Uncle Ross in the best way. Mm. And like, kind of like Owen in the sense that he's very. He's, Prankster, practical joker, and um, very frugal. And, and Harry's and brought he back. He has this obsession of like seeking weird these friends. people out. He Harry loves, wants Harry, weird, yeah, weird, loves, weird Harry, friends. Harry's, Harry's nuts too. And he loves being entertained by. I think that's what Owen would be entertained by these really, really weird, people. weird people. That uh, were his friends, but also kind of like gave, like, he not only get a free home cooked meal, free bed, but he got free entertainment. Well, Harry had one of Owen's friends. I'm not going to bring names into it, but Chris, you know who I'm talking about. (laughs) And he's one of Owen's most famous friends. And Harry ended up reconnecting with this guy on Facebook. And next, when we were the Heart Dynasty, you know, in between Harry impersonating Mike Rotundo, Ricky Steamboat, and Arn Anderson. All, all dead on. Amazing. Like, once again, you mentioned Walter Payton. Yeah. Who can do a Mike Rotundo imitation? I know. Harry can do Mike well, Rotundo better than Mike. Really sounds like. Harry would say Mike Rotundo or Steamboat. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, that sounds exactly like Big Show. Yeah. I should have Harry on just to oh do Oh my imitations. gosh, you have to have Harry. I've always said if, like, if the company or somebody wanted Harry to be an exact character... And they had this idea, it's and they showed crazy. it to him. He would be it one hundred percent, and there would be no doubt about it. No he, doubt. Harry does the most incredible—not that I even want to say this—but the most incredible impersonations. He does a really great Carl DeMarco impersonation. Carl but, DeMarco, the head old head of, but, <laughs> including like coffee. But Harry brought Harry's Harry brought much. one of Owen's old friends back into our lives during the Heart Dynasty days, and the guy started like stalking us. Uh-huh. And Harry got the guy front row tickets, and he's like, "Natty, he's going to give us a ride." I'm like, "I don't want to ride, Harry. I want to pay for my own car." Yeah. I don't want this guy around us. The guy's knocking on our door. Next thing you know, this guy's telling us about his sex life. And I'm like, I don't Harry and Harry's like, what's going on? And Harry brings another friend. Harry 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 wants to know details. And Harry brought another friend over and then he got like he didn't make it, but then they were all drinking, and then those two friends started fighting, and Harry's just entertained by the whole thing, recording remember, some of it and telling me about Harry it. Harry invited me over to a barbecue <laughs> one time at the house, and I went over there, and there was no barbecue. There was nothing to no. eat. There was nothing to drink. I was like, this is the worst barbecue ever. Undercooked chicken and overcooked beer. hamburgers. I never, they were gone by the time. And, yeah, yeah. They, they were, made like two. I couldn't believe that <laughs> you didn't... showed up to the barbecue, because I was just joking with you. Well, I, I you know, I it was awesome. wanted to check it out, too, out of curiosity. But you didn't get food poisoning or anything from that? I didn't eat. It was all gone by No. And I didn't eat either, and Harry did, and he 
you yeah. got a touch of the food poisoning. Yeah, and Harry, I was like, Harry, free is not free. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, about Stu for a bit. I mean, obviously one of the most famous characters in wrestling. You know, we talk about who knows Mike Rotunda's voice. Everyone knows Stu Hart's voice. Yeah. Everyone can imitate Stu whether they met him or not. Uh, and there's so many stories from, you know, Brett's time frame and Owen's time frame. You guys are a generation later. Stu was alive for, I think he just passed away maybe 10 years ago? About 10 years 2003 ago. 2003? Yep. 10 or 11 years. Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, obviously you you had a long relationship with your grandfather yeah. and you as well yeah, yeah. tj so what what tell, tell us a little bit about that about Stu. yeah Stu is definitely the ultimate um uh gosh the ultimate of the crazies but in and so my grandfather like I, I think about him every day because he was such a unique person he was you know somebody that um my grandfather had a really hard upbringing he lived in saskatchewan he actually um, at one point, ended up being homeless, and they lived in a field where yeah, they had to put in rocks tent. in the bottom of his sleeping bag to keep warm in the middle of a of a Canadian winter. Yep, and sleep in winter. between dogs, which I think. And then Stu became like he loved animals. Oh, okay, like undying loyalty to, to animals keep, to, because to live, dogs, he had yeah. to yeah. kill rabbits yeah. and stuff, and like the dogs kept him warm. And his parents, I don't know all the particulars, but. For whatever reason, at one point, my grandfather was pretty much by himself, and he just had his sister there. And um, at a young age, very young age, and he ended up taking up like refuge at the YMCA, just kind of to keep warm, mm -hmm. and ended up getting into amateur wrestling, and then became this incredible amateur wrestler, and um, was really, really involved with sports and played in the CFL, played in the Thanks CFL, most, yeah. and just you know. Just, he just was an incredible person, but he always was very, very, very compassionate. And when he was when he was young and struggling, I remember my grandmother would always tell the story of one of his uncles not really helping him. And he reached out saying, like, I'm homeless. I need help. Like, I need someone to, like, take me in. And they kind of ignored him. And then when my grandfather became very, very successful and, you know, more well-known, later on, that uncle kind of reached out to him and my grandfather took him like embraced him with open mm -hmm. arms and he was just unconditionally loving no matter who you were yeah. somebody tried to break into the hart house in the 70s mm. yeah yeah Brad and tells the story too. Because, yeah because my grandfather never ever locked his doors he was like well if people want to come in they can come in mm -hmm. never ever 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 lock the doors of the hart house that's like just i don't think so. I, some of the doors didn't have locks no <laughs> i don't think they did some of the windows didn't have go windows. up yeah <laughs> yeah because the house was built in 1902 okay so there was four you know stories to the hard house and um it was a hospital in the first world war and um really? yeah and this guy tried to break into the house and my grandfather caught him brought him up into the kitchen and they had tea and talked oh, yeah he was stealing a car the guy was stealing a car brett tells story and he it was winter time and he's trying to drive the car up the Oh, and it's so steep, yeah, yeah, and so he couldn't get up. <laughs> it was like so an old then Cadillac. Stu, Stu thought it was one of the kids, and so he goes out, and it's this guy, and then he ends up bringing the guy in, and they're having tea in the kitchen or something Yeah, like I think that. he did stretch him in the basement yeah, first. Of course. I think he, like, put some shoot, shoot holds on him in the basement and then brought him which, up for dinner after. Which those, at the, the time they're happening to you, are not fun. But I remember, like, well, just... I've, I've been stretched... Yeah. Many of times. times by Stu, and every time is like. So, when you get stretched by Stu, I mean, Stu's probably 75 years old at this time. I mean, I remember he would say, like, let me, let me, uh, let me show you this move. So, if you gave him your arm, yeah, which was the dumbest thing you could do, he would, he would kill you. Yeah. Did you let him do it, or were you just rolling around with him? Uh, what were you doing? Where he stretched you? He, so, a lot of times, how it would start, especially the times in the kitchen where it just becomes kind of an impromptu. Yeah. This display of hold yeah. is that he's kind of talking with somebody else, and I'm just kind of around, and then he starts 
with the, yeah, there's a, this one hold and he's talking to you, but he starts grabbing me. Uh-huh. And then it's like, uh, I'm, TJ was I'm just, like a small kid or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 16, but look like about 10. And so you don't, you don't really do anything but yeah, be the demo hard, and yeah. try like the whole thing is to try not to like. Uh, you don't want to yell, but it's like, and some some of the holds you can. Some of if the you didn't scream, you you'd be better off getting like. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you screamed, yeah, they would they would put it on. Yeah, harder. and then you would hold it, hold, it, and he was such a master of it that like, you would feel like okay, I'm gonna pass out, and then like, somehow he would know and let go, hmm. and then. And then, but he he had this whole series where like one went to the neck, so one's like your head and neck, and then one's your arm and your shoulder, which then leads to your chin, which then leads to like something where like it's taking the wind out of your stomach, and like mm. so like as my like neck, and I feel like I'm about to pass out now. It's something on my arm, and then so like then it's a let different go. Thing. He would yeah. just transfer the yeah. pain. It's funny because yeah. Brett talked about, or Brett always tells the story, but um, when he was training for that Ironman match with Sean. Um, he's like, you know, Sean had this great video oh, and, and this is just so funny. Cause like, it just, you know, it's, it's funny hearing it after the fact, but Brett was like, Sean had this great video and he's, you know, training with, uh, Jose Lothario, Jose Lothario and he's just doing all this crazy stuff. And he looks he's like upset, he's, he's handstand pushups on this bar and he's like, and Brett's like, I'm getting these. my ass kicked by my 75 year old father <laughs> in the dungeon. And he's like, they've got video footage of me gingerly running along the ice. It's winter time. So he can't really <laughs> run. You're going to slip. So. But, and then, and one last thing, going back to Stu and the, um, stretching my grandfather in his wallet, he always, this is just a known fact in the hard house in my grandfather's wallet. For most of his life, he had a picture of not my grandmother, not of his kids. He had a picture of a guy named Luther Lindsay. And I was just telling Mark Henry this story the other day. It's the only person that ever tapped my grandfather out. It's this wow. um, really sturdy shooter yeah, yeah, named yeah. Luther Lindsay. And it's this guy, like if you looked at it, he kind of looks a little bit like Biggie Langston. And my grandfather has a picture of him in his wallet, in wow. his trunks, yeah. in his wrestling trunks. And wow. it's like if you were somebody that found that wallet, like if Stu had accidentally left his wallet at a bu- – yeah. he's like, this guy's really he's weird. Like, he's got this big guy <laughs> with a pair of wrestling trunks. Yeah. Where's his wife? Where's his kids? My grandfather spoke like Luther Lindsay might oh, as well have yeah. been God because he took – he, he, yeah. took, he taps guy. Stu out. And so that was like my grandfather was just like – He probably kept in there too to look at like, you yeah. know, for motivation yeah. like someday. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. Someday. yeah. You know? Wow. Um, it's funny you mentioned about having uh, the doors not open at, at the hard house. I, I told you the story the other day. It's in one of my books where I went there right before they sold it. And now yeah. it's a museum, right? Or it's a it's – It's a, a historical site. Okay, because at one point they were going to so tear it, it down. down yeah. So yeah. Uh, Benoit said, you know, you should go over there and, 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 you know, it might be the last time. So he had gone in there earlier in the day and we were going to try and go together, but we couldn't, whatever. So Can I went – his DVD? Yeah, he filmed some stuff in his I DVD. Know, we lived at the guest house so I could see like, okay, the, that they the, were there. The, yeah, yeah the, 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 tr- the crews, the camera crews. But I went there and I knocked on the door. And it's one of those things like a horror movie. You knock on the door and the door opens. Yeah, with a yeah. knock, <laughs> dunk, so I walk in and you know I see the kitchen and all the place and, and go downstairs into the dungeon. And like you know, people, talk, you know, everyone talks about the dungeon, the dungeon. And I'm sure <clears throat> you might be thinking it's like the performance center. So there's like this place with all these rings and this. It's it. The ring was probably about three inches off the ground. Yeah. It didn't even have a proper apron or skirt on it, nope. and there was pipes and. Uh, there was no ropes. It's just there was walls. no ropes. Just walls. Yeah. The walls were the ropes. And one little window. Yeah, and a couple little like weight Weights, lifting things yeah. but i remember the 
the pipes from the furnace were all around too. Yeah. A very small yeah. little area. And so I'm just looking around and then I'm walking back up the stairs and the stairs had a door at the top of it and the door flew open. And I see this like sh- this shady figure and I was convinced it's Leatherface. Like <laughs> it's a serial killer that's gonna I'm dead. It's like when you go, I shouldn't yeah, have went yeah. in the house. Just don't go in the house. And I'm like, and then throws a human head at me. I'm like, no. And then I realize it's not a human head. It's a big wad of sheets. And this isn't Leatherface. It's a fat guy wearing dress pants. And the sheets fly by me. It smells like cat piss. It's basically, and I look up and it's Smith. He's like, cat's pissed on the sheets again. Close the door and leaves. And I never saw him again. I didn't know he was in the house. I was in there for half an hour. And I don't know where he went to. That's after. why I love your books because I can hear your voice in your books. Like, <laughs> I, it's like I can hear, I can feel you in the book. But no, that was the door to the dungeon. So you, where you were, I know this yeah. for a fact. You were in the kitchen. Yeah. You were in the kitchen. You opened up the door to the dungeon. Right. The dungeon stairs were all metal. They hurt like hell to walk oh, down because wow. it was all metal. It's all industrial. Like something you'd see in like a torture so dark chamber. So that when the door does open, there's that light. Yeah, that's what that was exactly right? like the movie. Like, ah. And many drunk people. People at those Christmas parties my grandmother would throw, like they would always fall down those stairs of the dungeon. But to the left of the dungeon was a crematorium. So the hard house, yeah, my, my, I, you didn't know that? No. Oh, yeah, because the house was a hospital in the First World War. Okay. So when you walk down the stairs of the dungeon, it's the very like basement. The, to the left was a crematorium, which my grandfather would make my grandmother um, chicken. He'd always make her special fried chicken down there. In in the crematorium? And you're right where the crematorium yeah, room yeah, was. Like, uh, he had a deep would fryer. He, would he use the crematorium? No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but like, he had a deep fryer that next to the crematorium. But you know where it was because yeah. you tried to steal um, at one point a steak of my grandmother's and then you got caught. But we won't get into that. So, <laughs> Not at all true. Well, no, did, did he, well, sorry, you asked her if you could borrow have a have the steak and she said no? Something like that. But I didn't steal it. Oh. Okay, forget it, DJ. So never mind. I'm sorry I asked or said that. So anyway, to the left, crematorium. To the right, the dungeon. And then behind that was um, this room. And I don't want to – I mean, should we mention where Bob – The Bob Johnson room? Did you ever meet Bob Johnson? Yeah, Bob he, Johnson, kind of the historian of Calgary Stampede at this point. Well, he also, like, he was somebody that my grandfather, you know, my grandfather was very compassionate and Bob was going through a hard time in his life. So Bob, behind the dungeon, Bob kind of stayed in this one room and he stayed there with a dog named Lanakia that had a really well, there's a wounded room. nipple. There's a, ro- there's, a room. there's a room on the side there <laughs> where, where it's Jim's old... Like Oakland Raiders. Oh, my dad, when he played for the Raiders, he brought his treadmill down there. That it's it's like a treadmill that uh, it's not electronic at all. So like the more speed you go, the more it just keeps gaining, gaining, gaining. It's and like one of those old school yeah, 1970s treadmills. Yeah, and it's treadmills. so loud, and then this room's like hollow. So it, and then Bob slept in another room attached to that. Yeah. But like we would train in the dungeon, and then we'd end with like these little sprints on the treadmill. It's so hard to breathe in that room if you're just sitting in it, let alone running on this treadmill. Bob would be in there with Lana. Yeah, and Bob would be sleeping with. Now, now, guys, everyone's listening at home. Like, this is all in Stu's house. There's a crematorium. There's an old treadmill. There's people living there that you're not really sure who's living there. People just came because sometimes people would have nowhere to live. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a guy who was living there. Neil. Neil. Oh God. He's living there. And uh, Brett had given Helen a Bart Simpson shirt. And so she loved it, it because, was like, because, it was from, possession. because it was from Brett. The one day she sees Neil, who's living there in, one, in the office across from the dungeon. At this time, experimenting with makeup, but we won't get into yeah. that. Drawing on <laughs> eyebrows and things of that nature. But he, tanning, of course tanning, he was. Why wouldn't he be? Tanning on the lawn in the summer with just a sock. But, uh, <laughs> TJ. So he, here he is that in the kitchen with the Bart Simpson shirt. And Helen's like devastated. So then like, 
I don't know if she brought it up or maybe she mentions to Stu, whatever. So finally they talk about Neil moving out. And Neil, who's living there for free, says, he has very, he's like, I'll move out, but I need a pair of shoes first. So they somehow agree that they're going to buy him a pair of Nike shocks, and then he's going to be on his way. Yeah. So to get him to move out of their house where he's staying for free, they're going to buy him out. But she wanted her shirt back as well. Yeah, oh yeah, very adamant. So oh, because he stole her shirt. Yeah, so she, they buy the shoes. He was a thief. They buy the shoes, and he did live with a friend for like a week or two. And then he was back in, living down in the dungeon area. Wow. And because, like, they wouldn't, like, Helen never really came down there at that stage of her life, didn't really come down to the dungeon. She'd be on the main floor and then her room. And same with Stu would only come down, like Natty said, to, to make Helen the wings that she liked. So, like, this Neil guy, he, he got the shoes and he still lived there two weeks later. Right. He might still be living there, as far as <laughs> I know. Look, like, from a distance, if you didn't know, he looked sort of like he had the dark hair, like Brett's. He, he did try to keep a. a Bret Hart a look Brett going. S- to keep yes, a Brett yeah. S look going now. As far as sun <clears throat> sunbathing on the lawn, nude at the Hart House, like Not I nude said. Nude sock. That's the sock, yeah. He wore the sock, but the thing is, is that you have all these rich neighbors around the house, <laughs> yeah. and so you see my grandfather's house, <laughs> and you see on the lawn, there's the wrestling ring, because in the summer, my grandfather would set the rings yeah. up. Yeah, which so, stops like traffic, people walking sure, up. because everyone knows it's yeah, Stu yeah. Hart's place. Yeah. And so, everybody wants to look at the ring. That, yeah, people oh. in the mansion above, there's the neurosurgeon, there's the, you know, the mayor, <laughs> there's the, you know, lawyer. Of here's the, the circus freak. <laughs> all of a sudden, you have like, you know, uh, the, giants and midgets. And, and, yeah, yeah, muck and sing on guys, the lawn. Guys, yeah, all sorts of like, and it was such a weird thing the, there's see. there's the famous story uh, uh where there stew was cooking scrambled eggs and there's always a lot of cats in the house yes cats are getting mentioned quite a bit here yeah and he was i don't know if this is true or not you probably know better than me flipping the the, the eggs and then saw some cat poop on the mm-hmm. floor used the spatula to pick up the cat poop and throw it in the trash and then kept using uh kept uh, making the eggs yeah I true this, r- urban legend i don't think that I, what are your thoughts well can i the floor is yours Thanks. This is okay. So, I believe that there's a lot of truth to that rumor. Now, <laughs> this is the reason why because my grandfather had a very open mentality as far as the cats kind of ran the house. The and cat, how many cats? Like twelve cats. At one point, I think he probably had fourteen or fifteen cats. Wow. But he also had a lot of dogs too. He had Molly. He had Punky. He had. I mean, he had a lot. Like people, he just took in animals. Okay, yeah. He loved. So animals. he had. He had about. You might say at any given time between ten and fifteen animals, but mainly cats. So there was a very strong odor. You know, cat pee. Um, but the cats would be on the counters and stuff. And that's because the cats really ran the house. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather believed, you know, you, you couldn't smoke a cigarette in the house. It would be like the worst thing in the world. But you have that aroma of cat pee. And it was just kind of, even when I smell cat pee now, and this is showing how crazy and insane I am, I don't mind it because it reminds me of my grandfather's house. So the cats would be on the counters and like. Good memories. Yeah, you know, everything is, <laughs> everything is situational, especially sure. the dungeon, which had a lot of cat pee in it. But, um, the, but dog, my, the dogs did their fair share in the dungeon too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, let's but, not blame it all on the cats. But Grampy was just very resourceful and you know, he used different I believe that Grampy probably at one point used well, I the watched, spatula to definitely pick up something. Yeah, because he, I've heard that story from different he people. He wouldn't be going to Safeway to buy a little plastic. Including one. Tokyo Joe, my trainer had a story that uh, he had a Japanese guy in the dungeon and the guy For sure. Stu said, Hey, after training, I'll make some food so he had the exact same story that he saw the same, and he told Joe, Joe, I don't want to eat, I don't want to eat, I saw this. So then, like, Stu's making food, and then Joe's like, oh, sorry, Stu, we're busy, uh, we must go. So they went and ate, but one that I witnessed was Stu making these wings for Helen. I was down in the dungeon training, uh, and then I run into Stu late at night, he's making these wings. 
So then he, I, I end up carrying the plate up the metal stairs for him. Now we're on the main floor, and he, he's looking for like a plate to bring these up to Helen. And if Helen saw this, there's no way she would have eaten these wings. I see. He pulls like a, a takeout container out of the garbage, kind of turns it, taps it a couple times to make sure nothing's in it, and puts these wings in this container. <laughs> and if Helen saw that, she would have flipped out. And I was I'm like, sure. I was like, he's like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going up now. And I was like. I, I said, you need help carrying this up? No, no, no. I can get. I got it from here. Thanks. And that's our secret. And I was thinking, like, if she only knew. <laughs> I think though, so then that started. I used to always think there's no way this cat story's true. But once I saw that, and then I'm thinking, I think Grampy probably washed off the spatula, like washed it um, off. Yeah. I think he definitely, definitely. Rinsed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good thorough rinsing. Yeah. My grandfather just didn't, like, if you looked at his drawers in his kitchen, they were all, like, metal. Everything was industrial. There's no way I could see Grampy going to Safeway yeah, yeah, yeah. and bu- buying a plastic pooper scooper when he had an, a steel, all-clad one in the drawer. Perfectly good spatula that he could use. You Why rinse it off, and it's fine. Five-second rule does not apply. You know, and it, I remember um, in SummerSlam 1990, I went to Frank Sisson's Silver Dollar Center. I yep. just, I had trained that summer. I hadn't even had a match gotcha. yet, but we got to go to the Silver Dollar and watch the pay-per-view. And Stu was there. And I remember I got to kind of sit close. I remember Harry was running around. He was probably five years old. He had, yeah. uh, I, I thought it was dirt all over his face, but Harry reminds me that it, he had demolition paint. Oh. I remember just running yeah. around the place. <laughs> yeah. And then Stu was there, and he kept taking sugar packs and putting them in his pocket. Like at the end of the night, he'd probably taken 30 or 40 sugar packs and put them in his pocket to must take home for later. <laughs> yeah. And I remember he was using a toothpick as a, as a Q-tip. I just thought that was the strangest <laughs> thing. And he was like, we clean his ears. There's no way that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so funny. But because maybe his ears are so cauliflower, the regular yeah, tip can't get in and feel he, it. Who knows, right? Yeah, I exactly. Re- There's no other way to get him in there. <laughs> I know. I remember Grampy, too, because Smith would always go to the Salvation Army and bring back these things <clears> for my grandfather. And Grampy one time didn't have any underwear on. But he was. it was just him by himself. He didn't know that there was house guests coming. And he came down the stairs. He'd always just wear a shirt. Mm-hmm. He'd always wear a big shirt. But Smith had got him this big yellow shirt from the Salvation Army. And on the front of it was a happy face. And on the back was... A marijuana leaf. A marijuana leaf. And then... Why not? All, all of a sudden, these people from the Calgary Sun ended up coming over. My grandfather's in his kitchen with this <laughs> marijuana leaf. And Grampy was like 75, you know, maybe 80 at the time. And I remember my grandfather... Like, yeah, I don't even know if Grampy was there. But anyway... It was just that's the kind of person. My grandfather was so oblivious to everything, and he just loved any any time people would come over. I remember when it could be. I mean, I don't even want to say this, but it could be like a you know, it could be Saddam Hussein coming into the house. But if he had good calves, my grandfather would be like, "You've got a solid pair of legs on you," or like, "Come over and 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 ch- you, uh, yeah, flex your biceps and feel them." Anybody about uh, two uh, two ten two 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 fifteen? Yeah, I'm about two twenty, Stu. Yeah, you get looks good. And this was probably when he was seventy five. Yeah, yeah, because they had would always have to say like, uh, you know, maybe it was your mom or Diane or whatever, be like, "Stu, this is Chris Jericho," because it was like the thing was that he trained in the dungeon, which I didn't train in the dungeon. I trained in Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp that had yeah. one Hart Brother for one day, which was Keith. <laughs> but I came from Calgary, so therefore yeah, I'm yeah. one of the I'm a Calgary kid, like like yeah, you guys exactly. are. And so it'd be like, hey, he trained in the dungeon, and Stu'd be like, he says, what's your name? Chris Jericho. Yeah, what do you bet? Uh, 210, 215? Yeah, and then he'd go on his way. And then I'd see him again maybe later or whatever. What's your name? What yeah. do you bet? 210, yes, yeah. Stu. But it was always <laughs> cool that I think towards the end, I think he actually knew who I was because yeah. he wouldn't ask me what my name was. He never said, hi, Chris. 
but he never said what's your name. So I figured he yeah. probably had figured out that I'm exactly. in the gang then, then now. You, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Face recognition and exactly. knew who you were. Yeah. So you, you mentioned way back when we started this, the Sunday dinners, and that was a tradition. Every Sunday, no matter where you were, who was in town, you would go over yeah. there, right? Every yep. single Sunday. And that was a, a, a mandatory thing. Yeah, when we were growing up, we had this wrestling promotion called the Kids Wrestling Association. <laughs> and so um, TJ can elaborate more on that. But every Sunday, we'd have Sunday dinners, and they'd probably be, be maybe 50 people every single Sunday would come for the dinner. So if Brett and Owen were in town, they'd be there too. Yeah. So it would be this huge family affair, and it was just we, it was something we loved doing. It was a family tradition. My grandfather took so much pride in like cooking all the food, and he really loved it. But on the lawn, there was TJ and Harry and Ted and all the Hart grandkids basically running this wrestling promotion. Um, and, and how old were you guys? We were. I was fifteen. Okay. So Ted's fifteen. Was Very young. Twelve, yeah. thirteen. Harry's ten. Harry's ten, and um, basically they had this promotion on the lawn. And so before <clears> Sunday <throat> dinners, we'd run shows, and you know, you, it was it's amazing. Really, it was really cool because my grandfather actually designed all of his own rings, and he like had a welder that you know worked for him, and they were huge. Well, and also it's funny. So when we were doing this stuff, we didn't have that much experience in terms of like watching a lot of different wrestling. So we're just doing like a lot of basic, really basic stuff then. Uh, we got a fan sent a tape for uh, Bash at the Beach when, when Hogan joins NWO. Mm -hmm. Well, while we're watching this, we come across Rey Mysterio. I've told Rey this story. We come across Rey Mysterio, Ted and I, and Rey against Psychosis. I, I could tell you everything about that match <laughs> right now. We were so blown away. We rewind, watch it again, rewind, watch And it was summertime. It was July mm -hmm. when that happened. So we're watching at the guest house. Press pause, go out the ring setup. We go outside. We're trying Frankensteiners. <laughs> yep. Go back inside, press play. Okay, let's see if we can do this one now. Nowhere near the grace of Ray, but we're doing sure. And, and now we want to show Stu this new stuff we've learned. And we're, we're doing Frankensteiners, and we finally mustered up enough to do a superplex. Mm -hmm. And of course, in Ted's world, we're like both guys off the top because we're not we're not weak. Where one guy just stands on the second. Mm -hmm. So here we are, these kids doing superplex. And all these run and Stu, we're thinking, yes, you gotta love. It. He's like, eh, you guys are gonna break your goddamn necks, and like, so angry at us. And but we're wasn't like, wasn't Owen teaching you guys how to do stuff too? Yeah, Owen would teach us like when the ring was set up and when he would be around. Like he showed us how to do backflips off the top and yeah. like, and things like that. And I remember telling him, Ted and I telling him that like we knew how to do some moves. We had no clue how a match worked. So he came down to the dungeon with us one Owen time. Or Stu. Owen or Stu? Owen. And then he just said, okay, TJ, you're the heel. Ted, you're the baby face, and he said, and he, he just called, like, move for move, and like, do this, do this, okay, now put him in this hole, do this, and then... Because you guys actually had a match at the Saddle Dome on a WWE show. Yeah, in at, 1996. Like, which how old were you? I just turned 16. How in the hell did you guys get on a W? Can you imagine a WWE show now with a 16-year-old kids wrestling? Harry was how old? 11. 11? Yes, Harry was Saddle 11. In front of yes. 5,000 yeah. people. yeah. But Harry was eight when he had his first match at the Rocky Ford Rodeo. Which is like what inspired Ted and I to want to wrestle. But Brett got them the match. Uh, but, but who and, approved and, and it? Davey. Carl DeMarco. Uh, Ted's brother passed away from flesh eating disease that summer. summer. Okay. So then like the family was really, really down. And then just somehow Davey and Owen were on the road. And Davey was talking with Carl DeMarco, who was the president of WWE Canada at the time. Mm. And then, who knows, I remember Davey said, okay, hey, TJ, you and Harry can do this singles match. But Carl DeMarco always really liked Ted. And then he called Ted. So Ted's like, hey, did you guys hear we're doing a tag match? And I was saying, that we're doing a singles. But, okay, now, now it's a tag. So, so we, what was the match? Uh, it was myself, and we, we didn't know what we were doing, okay? But we trained a friend of ours okay. so we could have a tag match. Myself and what this. was the friend's uh, name? Andrew Pekarnik. He's okay. a lifelong friend of, of Ted's and then of, of mine. So, okay. uh 
Andrew, te- te- myself and Andrew against Ted and Harry. And we don't know. All we've done is like uh, rehearse this match for weeks. Mm-hmm. We, we have no, for whatever reason, we have no guidelines about rules, about shaking hands, about like, at this time, uh, there'd been, we'd seen now a bunch of Ray stuff and some other light heavyweight stuff. So we're like, some of the Japanese super juniors, we're trying to do all the stuff, dives. We had these dives. Uh, we had all the stuff planned. We went early in the day just to make sure we could do it. We did it. Mm-hmm. The WWE ring, even though it was like all the guys say it was very stiff in those days, it was still so much better feeling than the stampede than, ring than at night ring. Yeah. when it, everything gets kind of cold and then padding on the outside. Mm-hmm. We're able to do everything that we'd planned. Probably didn't look great, but we were able to do everything that we planned. Wow. So we're like, yes, we got this. And then um, – Jack Lanza sits on a bench across from us and doesn't go, hey, guys, listen up. He just starts talking. But we're so nervous. We're in the locker room with Shawn Michaels, <laughs> Vader, uh, Hunter. Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. We're, exactly. These guys were all on the show. We're just sitting there. These kids, I, I weighed 90 pounds. So we're yeah. just sitting there and like we're just kind of like keep ta- saying the match to each other over and over and over. And we've been rehearsing it for weeks. And Lanza sits on a bench bes- uh, across from us. And finally, I'm like, Dad, I think he's talking to us. And he's like, Catch him mid and he's like, you guys have five minutes, uh, no two guys on the floor at the same time. This, when I give this signal, I pull my tie, the ref's going to tell you guys that that's, you guys got to go home. And I was like, think in my head, I wonder what's go home. <laughs> and then, Jack uh, Lads is running the show. He's, yeah, he's the boss. And, and then I was like, oh. Whatever like, you we, guys we, are doing is on the floor. But we tried telling him like, uh, our match is longer than five minutes. No, no, you have five minutes. <laughs> okay. If not, I'm sending so, so, down to so kill I was, you. So I was like, I said, we were, we got together. We we're like, we'll do our match. We have planned, and when it's the time to go home, mm. we'll go home. And then so like we're doing the match, and I hear Earl Hebner is actually the ref. He said, "Okay, guys, I'm getting the signal." So I'm like, I thought that Ted heard it too. Ted and I are in the ring, and we had this spot where he's going to give me a back suplex, stay with me, and do a sec home where I take like a moonsault bump, mm-hmm. and then we we're going to go to the. That was probably going to be right at towards the end. So I think Ted hears it and. uh he hooks me for the suplex, so I'm thinking in my head, okay, we'll cut out the first one, just do the backflip one. He's thinking, he didn't hear Earl. So I'm thinking backflip, Ted's thinking just regular suplex. I land on my head. But, oh. And there's a picture, I have a picture on my phone from like the Calgary Herald of this great shot of me landing on my head. head. I don't know if it's this one or the next one, because so then I'm thinking, <laughs> so Ted's just thinking regular suplex, and he's, now he's thinking he's going to backflip me. I'm thinking, why is he doing the, the regular one now? So he's trying to backflip me while I'm trying to take a regular one. So two in a row <laughs> on my head. And finally, Earl says, if you guys don't go home right now, I'm ending this match. We're all going to look stupid. And I was like, so nervous. And I'm like, Ted. And he's like, what? And he finally snapped out of it. And I said, <laughs> I said, we have to finish. And he's like, oh, okay. He tags Harry, sets me up on the top, superplex me. <laughs> Harry does a headbutt off the other corner, like power and glory. At the same time, Barry Windham's on the show as the stalker, okay? So we get, we get to the back. We're in this little room. St- Barry Windham comes in. He's like, hey, you guys did my finish. <laughs> Which was a superplex? Superplex. Wow. As, and so Ted doesn't miss a beat. And Ted's so funny because he has never changed it, which is, I think is a good thing that, like, he's always just believed yeah, in himself. Yeah. And that's, that's Ted. But he, he goes, actually, no, well, no, actually, you do yours. Uh, you stand on the second row. <laughs> and we did both guys off the top. And then, and then, like, as the timing would happen, Baby comes walking and Barry's like, oh, I'm just messing with you guys. Great job. But, like, I remember thinking, oh, he's really funny. But later on when I'm wrestling, I'm thinking – if I saw some 16-year-old... Could you imagine? Yeah. yeah. If they did something similar that I do, and like if, for, if I was just like, hey, guys, like, I do that. some crap about yeah, it yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, 
was he really joking or was he kind of <laughs> yeah, mad yeah. or did was since it's a live event maybe he doesn't yeah. i don't know it, there's could be a million things well we've had so many crazy stories but the last story i want to talk about is finally we mentioned earlier the big screw job Bret Hart's gone from the WWE for 14 years, finally comes back. WrestleMania, Hart versus McMahon right. with the Hart family involved. I think there might have been a Hall of Fame thing that night, yes. too. Stu was inducted. Stu was inducted. So the whole family is there. Right. For, uh, Wh- which, for the by match. the way, is the first time the whole family's been together since Stu's funeral. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And And... Really rocky since Owens passed. Since, right, because that's where the passed. family really got di- divided. After Insanely that. divided. Right, and then like so, then they even though everybody was there at Stu's funeral, still very yeah, much yeah, divided, yeah. not talking. Like your mom and Brett, maybe first time they really talk yeah. is Phoenix. Yeah, at the WrestleMania. Yeah. At the- it was hard because after Owen had passed away, the family just really like it. Really, really. Splintered the family. It really, yeah, I remember. In fact, it really affected the family, and and because you're you know, either on Owen's side or Vince's side. Well, because our family just loves wrestling yeah. so much, and it's just a big. It's just it's everything that makes us tick. So, you know, I can't remember a day in my life that we haven't talked about wrestling or or watched it or, or just been involved in it. So to you know, obviously with Owen's passing, it was really hard because you know. You understand, you understand both sides, but just it is part of who we are still. So there was a little, there was a huge division, and we we still just wanted to keep loving wrestling because yeah. it was actually very. Well, some of the families still working, making their living. Yeah. for Vince, Davey was, I believe. Davey yeah. and my dad and, yeah, and Brett right. Jim and, was too, right? And, and Brett was, you know, still. Well, Brett was in WCW, but but anyway, so we had this huge family reunion, and in a lot of ways, I think it was therapeutic to bring everybody together. But in typical true heart fashion. Of course, the family would find a way to fight about something, and basically. Well, there was a few. The first one was my, Allison and telling Al- off Johnny. With John, John was head of Johnny. John Ace. Yeah, yeah, John Laurinaitis was head of talent relations at the time, <laughs> and um, I don't Johnny. think my aunt Allison knew who John was. So she, I don't even know why she did this, but anyway, uh, she was hungry or she didn't have food or something like that. She ended up basically giving John Laurinaitis a piece of her mind on Thursday. The whole thing wasn't even t- until Saturday. What do you mean you didn't get food? It's not like she was in jail or something. I don't, I, she I don't couldn't know. couldn't just go she downstairs and buy some food? Hungry or something wasn't working out for her. Like she just, just was having a bad hair day. And all of a sudden, Brett was like, you guys can't be telling off John Laurinaitis. He's, like, he's like, Sunday or yeah, Monday, you guys fly home. But TJ, Natty, and Harry are still here. You guys can't be wow. doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they were and acting like, like... Well, that, won't, that shouldn't affect them because he's like, yeah, but you don't understand. He's like, Ross, do you have rocks in your head? This is like... <laughs> this is like... <laughs> it was breaking down like this Saturday night after the Hall of Fame. Michael Hayes comes up to us in the Hall of Fame and he says, hey, come meet up in the green room after this. We Hall had no idea that we were going to be involved in it until the night before. This is in the match. Yeah. So after Hall of Fame, you guys are going to the green room to discuss tomorrow's Mike, Yeah, they pull us aside and say, just so you know, now you guys are a part of this. And we're so, like, what? Okay. So the first thing, we're sitting there and then Vince is laying out what's going to happen. So you're in there with Vince and 12 hearts. And basically, and like Sean and Hunter are also around. Okay, because like they're just around. Is is very like, going over stuff. It was very crazy. So mm-hmm. like we're there, and then um, Vince is kind of laying it out. Then Bruce interjects. First thing Vince, they, he just lines out that like Brett with the concussion and the head trauma can't take any blows and can't yeah. can't take any falls. Yeah. So. Then, uh, so the story is that we're all going to be lumberjacks, that Vince bought us out, but that Brett actually caught it ahead of time and we're actually all swerving. Oh, Vince in. was going to buy off the whole Hart yeah, family with right. Brett. But then yeah. we're actually all on Brett's side. Yeah. And then 
Bruce right away is like, no, uh, this doesn't make sense. To the, then that basically turns you baby face because you got all of us against you. I think you should get some real good steam on Brett, and he's bleeding. And then they're like, whoa, there's, 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 there's no more blood here. There's, and and we just said like, Brett can't take any <laughs> yeah. blows. Right? And, right. and then, like, so they try to, like, keep going. Vince, Vince hasn't even begun to, like, lay it out. He yeah. just had started, and Bruce already interrupted him. Then, like, Vince goes a little bit further than Bruce, like, and I think, like, you know, because they did the deal where Batista beat up Brett on uh, Raw, so I think Batista should come out. And then Triple H comes out, and then <laughs> Michael like, Hayes goes. And then Michael's like, uh, Batista's kind of got a big match that night, which is uh, Batista against Cena. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, like, yeah. Batista's got kind of got a big match. And uh, then he's like, <laughs> then Bruce, then Vince gets a little bit further, and Bruce's like, yeah, I just think that, you know, really get some, some good steam on Brett. He's bleeding. Here comes Triple H, maybe. And Triple H and Vince, and then out of here comes Sean and Sean. Then it turns out for you set up SummerSlam, Sean and Brett against Triple H and Vince, and then finally Brett says, "Hey, there's no blood. This is I can so only Brett do this lost one. Cool, yeah, yeah, he's like I can do this one match. Guys, gotta let you shut up. Yeah. So now Bruce has decided to stop talking openly to the whole f- room and just starts maybe speaking to like Keith beside him but loudly Whispering like loudly I just think that like while Vince I just think that uh you know if, if there's no heat and there's no blood there's no no steam how can anyone get behind it? and then <laughs> and my mom stands up out of nowhere and I'm just like oh <laughs> and my dad's not in this room because my dad like I said when I we started this interview my dad is the most normal of yeah, the hearts yeah. and I stand away. by this yeah. and my dad stayed the hell away cuz he's too he smart he knows for what's going to happen and so my mom's like well just out of nowhere, says, I think um, Jim needs to be involved. Again, I think maybe Bruce first threw the idea. What, is Big Jim involved? And then I was like, yeah, maybe Jim should be involved. And then they actually kind of thought about it for a second. They're like, but they're like. But then it turns into a heart foundation. They're, they're, like, they're like, if he's steamrolling Vince and he's so big. Yeah, so strong. I told my mom, I'm like, mommy, stop. And then my mom started crying. And I was like, oh, for sakes. Oh, excuse my language. Gosh. It just what? gets you fired up. Oh, so fired up. So the, and then what about the referee? Oh, and then they're like, okay, then the referee. Well, Wayne was always the referee in Stampede Wrestling, so wasn't there some Yeah, yeah, so like the referee's going to be Bruce, and then like, I was like, I, th- I always thought Wayne was, Wayne was always the referee in Wayne's Stampede. Wayne's the referee of the then, family. And then Brett always tells us, it's so funny, but Brett Allison goes, I think Wayne needs to be the referee. And Brett's like, like he's mouthing down. like, and like stop, stop it. it. Stop and then without, ha- without causing a scene, Brett's trying to say like, yeah, we're crazy, but we're able to get through something together. Right. But we're not, but, but yeah, then yeah, Brett yeah. tells Allison to stop, and then Allison starts crying. And then after Allison stops crying, she looks at Brett, and Brett always just cracks me up when he tells me this. He goes, she, she looked at Brett, and she's like, she mouthed, like, whispering, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and Brett's like, it just is so by, funny. By the Locked. way, we're not even at, like, the bell ringing at this point of going over what's happening. And it was just fighting. And so and the like, big thing was Vince doing? Laughing. Knowing, knowing how crazy I, the I think, parts are. I think he's just like those Terminator eyes. He's just like almost taking like photographs of like. <laughs> but the way Vince is is that he's, he's like Harry. He's entertained by this stuff. That is the truth. I remember Vince always said, you know, the hearts are going to be the hearts. You know, God bless the hearts. Oh, oh Ellie, she's such a firecracker. Like whatever. You know yeah. Is, right? My mom was always very passionate too. Like yeah. when we were growing up, she'd always write Vince these long letters and I was like oh so he knew what he was getting into he was probably saying wait till you get a load of this yeah, yeah. yeah. having them all come in, bring them all in the green room Hayes. I don't think my dad ever knew Have when he was fun. part of the Heart Foundation that my mom was writing Vince's letter <laughs> and, and, and even a, a small part that ends up getting blown up the next day a little is that the whole thing is Bruce is supposed to come out with uh with a, with a blazer on mm-hmm. and then he takes off the blazer to reveal that he's the ref, the ref. and Bruce like 
for whatever reason, I'm not going to wear a jacket. Why would I wear a jacket? Why would I wear a jacket? I'm a sellout. So, wear my bandana so, so he's in Gorilla. Uh, and uh, Vince is already out there because Vince goes out and then yeah. he calls us out. So Vince is already out there. And then like Hunter now is taking over Vince's spot in Gorilla. And he, he's like, Bruce, where's your jacket? He's like, oh, I didn't want to wear it. So he actually goes out wearing Kidman's jacket. Like, Kidman, Kidman, give me your jacket. Kidman gets his jacket off, gets it on Bruce right before he steps to the curtain. <laughs> Just because for some weird reason, and it's, it's definitely a heart trait. Like Ted has it a lot. But if you get told what to do. Yes. You can't do it because you were told. If yeah. you, you refuse, yeah. yeah, especially from the man. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> on, on any battle, I get. I feel it. like you might be kind of slightly heart. Yeah, well, I, I came, feel like yeah. you have a little heart in you. I'm an honorary heart. Yeah, you are. <laughs> definitely. It's have funny. That, Nick yeah. Foley is like, you think I could be an honorary <laughs> heart? And I'm like, Nick is actually definitely crazy enough to be part of the heart. And I think he would eat eggs. Used with a spatula, <laughs> he probably would scooping up cat poop. <laughs> I saw he had a tuxedo in a in a plastic bag in his trunk that he took out and wore uh, every once in a while. It's like well, you never know when you're gonna need a tuxedo, so you keep it balled up in a plastic <laughs> bag in your trunk. Well, you never know. Shouldn't you have it on a hanger like <laughs> yeah. in a thing? You know, but he fits in with the crazy heart. He yeah. does. But uh, you guys come from one of the greatest families, uh, one of the most respected families. I love the hearts, and I'm glad we got to talk about this today. It was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of yeah. great stuff. And you know it's funny because you're – like I said, because you're an honorary heart, it's so easy to talk to you about this kind of stuff. And now that I'm reading your third book um, – <laughs> Which can be found at a Kindle near you. <laughs> <laughs> at a fine bookstore near you. Um, but it's funny because, like, I, I, I'm like, gosh, there's so many funny heart stories. And, and like, you, you should know, write a book. Yeah, reading your My books. My family. I start, you know, after reading your books and, and reading some of these, like, I know you could just, I'm like, gosh, I want to write a book because, like, <laughs> it's just so fun to talk about it. But I won't. Um, That's something you should do someday. Yeah. Like, you know, write a whole recollection of your, of the hearts from your grandfather to your dad to growing up i think i think it'd be very interesting well, it's crazy like you were saying earlier about like mine and cody's memory but like brett too his memory's so sharp and yeah. you think like the concussion and the stroke and i'll i'll sit with brett and he'll just like tell stories and yeah. so and like it'll be different ones that i hadn't heard before and well, yeah. it's so sharp yeah. and like it's unbelievable years of stories so i mean yeah you get a real compilation of these heart stories yeah it'd yeah it'd be, be great this but, is just a taste of it yeah you can borrow the book tj after i'm done reading it um, proof at it yeah what's the, it's uh the best in the world at, at what i have at no what idea. i don't know <laughs> thanks guys Thank you. Thanks, Chris. All right, thanks to Tyson Kidd and Natty Neidhart. Tyson just going through a serious surgery on the recovery track. He's a great guy. We believe in Tyson Kidd. We want Tyson Kidd to get better. I want you to send all of your well wishes to Tyson Kidd right now. Let him know how you feel. Go on the Twitter, and I want you to hit up at Kid WWE, all right? That's his Twitter handle, at Kid WWE. Go on there and let him know you're thinking of him. He is a tough son of a bitch. He's a great performer. He's a great worker. He loves wrestling, and he is going to get back in shape. I just know it because that's what he does. That's what Canadians do. That's what hearts do. That's what we do. I'm going to send him a text on my phone when I get home from Japan, and why not, right? Because I do everything on my phone nowadays, email, text, pay bills, watch movies, listen to music, video chat, even shop, right? The phone is my office, especially when I'm on the road, especially when I'm over overseas so what if i told you you could add buying a car to that list of stuff you can do on your smartphone huh what if i told you that well if you download the true car app 
you can do that. You can take care of your car buying without spending hours and hours at dealerships looking for the perfect car and haggling over price. True Car has created a mobile app that makes buying a new car simple and fun. Download the True Car app, and in five minutes, you create the car you want. You choose the make, model, special features, even the color. And once you have your specs filled out, you see what others paid for the same car. And when I say others, I'm talking people in your neighborhood, people in your zip code. Once you do all that, you lock in guaranteed savings from True Car certified dealers in your area. That's over three grand off MSRP. Now, that's making smart use of your mobile phone, all right? They've got an app for everything these days. How many can actually save you a serious chunk of change. Three grand? Imagine what you can do with that. It's summertime, man. You go to the beach, go to the lake, do some jet skiing, do some fishing, uh, You know, buy a flat screen giant TV so you can watch Tough Enough on the USA Network. You go to a, a Fozzie gig, go to a WWE Y2J winter tour, summer tour gig, and go in the winter. you got so much money to spend, you can do what you want. Bottom line is you got a big chunk of change. you got a great car. You're doing it yourself. You do the smart thing. You download the True Car app, and you save time, save money, save us Y2J, and never overpay. Download that True Car app and do it today thanks again to natty and tyson so much fun hearing all those great heart family stories what a unique uh whimsical uh wacky family yeah and great to have natty back for a second round on talk is jericho she's one of the first guests ever on this podcast you can check out our first conversation that episode is still available on itunes and podcast1.com i think it was like episode 15 or something along those lines she is great tyson is great and you guys are all great thank you so much for joining me on this show and joining me this summer on the y2j summer tour we're continuing tonight at the tokyo uh, sumo hall uh, uh, in, in Japan, right, in July 4th, tomorrow with Neville in Tokyo, July 10th in Philly, 11th Pittsburgh, 31st San Diego, 1st Ontario, 2nd Fresno. Go on to W.com, find out all the dates, and go to FozzyRock.com to find out our remaining summer dates. We've got a handful left in Canada. We're playing uh, in the Square in Kitchener, July 24th, the festival there. August 8th, Festival of Friends in Ontario and Hamilton, another festival. August 9th, another festival, Heavy Montreal in Montreal. And then we're hitting the high seas with the Kiss Navy October 30th with Kiss, and then heading back over to Europe and the UK. November 14th, that starts in Germany all the way to December 6th. Go to FozzyRock.com and check out all the gig info and all the VIP info. Come rock with us. I'm, I'm inviting you right now. All right? And, uh, and, and I'm inviting you to, to join me next week on More Talk is Jericho's. And I thank you for being here. Thank you for checking out my sponsors as well, including Koyos, Recovery Max, True Car, DDP Yoga, and, of course, the sponsors have been with us since number one, uh, Amazon. It's the easiest way to support this show. Go buy the new Black Veil Brides live DVD, Live and Burning. Go buy the new Tremonti album, Cauterize. Go buy one of Scott Baio's albums from the 70s. If you find one of those, get me one too. I want to hear it. Go to podcast1.com. Click on the Support Our Show Sponsors man at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Amazing links uh, on Amazon for the USA, the UK, and the Canada. Every time you do that, you uh, contribute a couple bucks to this show so we can uh, keep running this show for you for free for twice a week. There's no extra fees, no hidden challenges. You're just doing your shopping. Help me out in the process. I thank you for that. And I thank you uh, f- uh, for being here. Thanks to Tyson. Thanks the natty thanks to scott bayo and next week wednesday my old friend the singer from slipknot and stone sour Corey taylor returns to talk is jericho we talk all things rock and roll parenting and his new book some great great stuff always funny to have Corey on the show and always great to have you so we will see you uh next week happy independence day happy canada day a few uh, days ago and happy yeah boy day Boy, you can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. 